And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while, while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found 11 gathered together and them that were with them saying, the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told, and they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. You may be seated. Good morning. Greetings in Christ's name. In the past year or so, I've been preaching on end time events. I've really enjoyed this topic, um, and I've learned so much more um, since when I first started. But this morning, I want to switch gears and talk about something different. When we think about the heart, it is the center of all physical and spiritual life. In the physical sense, when our heart stops working, it affects our whole body. In the spiritual sense, our heart is a fountain and seat of the thoughts, of our passions, our desires, our appetites, our affections, our purposes, and our endeavors. If our heart is corrupt, our whole body is corrupt. If our heart is renewed, our whole body is renewed. The heart is also the seat of intelligence. It is what we know and understand about scripture or whatever it may be. The Bible talks about three different temperatures of the heart. This morning, I want to speak about the burning heart. We often hear or even talk about people being on fire for the Lord. Or we even say, setting, we want to set our soul on fire. What does that mean? How do we get a burning heart? What does that look like? Where do we go to when we are discouraged? Or when we feel that our heart isn't on fire? Do we go to things to try to bring joy into our heart? Do we expect people... Those around us, our friends, our family, our parents, even our teachers or pastors to bring happiness or to give us a burning heart. These people may point us to find joy in our lives, but they cannot give it to you. Today I want to look at two men who was in the pit of despair and discouragement that rose up to great heights of joy in only one afternoon. Just a little bit of background of Luke 24 and the passage that John read. So earlier, three days before Sunday, Jesus the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one that the Jews were promised many times in the Old Testament to be their Redeemer, was killed. He was nailed to the cross and left there to die. The news of Jesus Death was headline news. Everyone knew about it. As it says there in Luke 24, the two men told Jesus that everyone knew about what happened the week before. On Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and Mary went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, but found that the tomb was empty. There were angels there to inform them that Jesus is not here, that he is risen 
just like he said that he would. The angels instructed the women to tell Jesus' disciples that he is risen. How did their story affect the disciples? To some of the disciples, this story was as idle tales. It was as a fantasy story. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe the woman's story. To Peter and John, Joe, though, after they went to the tomb and saw the linen clothes just lying there by themselves, it caused them to wonder, to marvel. I believe that then they may have remembered what Jesus said about his resurrection. That maybe, just maybe, he was alive. But if he was alive, where was he? None of the disciples had yet seen Jesus after his resurrection. Mary Magdalene was the only one who saw Jesus on the day of his resurrection before the two disciples saw him. Let's look at their journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. In this story, we will notice how these two men moved from discouragement to excitement in one day. And as we look at this story, this story has three different parts. The first part is the two disciples rehearsing what happened in the last number of days with Jesus and also talks about their discouragement. The second part talks about the two disciples talking with Jesus and, how, and Jesus teaching to them about himself. And the third part talks about the disciples recognizing Jesus and what it did for them in their lives. This story happens on the same day that the women discovered that Jesus' body was no longer in the tomb. In the afternoon and evening of that same day, as we can see in verse 29, when they constrained with Jesus to spend the night with them because the day was far spent. Let's look at the two disciples. Who were they? We don't know a whole lot about these two men. As far as we can tell, this is the first time and the only time that they are mentioned in Scripture in this story. Mark is the only other gospel that mentions this story, and he just talks about it a little bit in just two verses. The one disciple isn't even named, and the other man was named Cleophas. The way that these men responded to the death of Jesus, it seemed like they had some interaction with him. They thought that they believed that he was, they thought that he was, that they believed that he was Messiah, the one who would bring redemption to Israel until he died. Then they were questioning what they believed in. Well, scripture doesn't say and this is only an assumption, but they could have been a part of the 70 disciples that Jesus sent out in Luke 10 to heal the sick and to preach about the kingdom of God. These men most likely heard the woman's story when they went to the tomb, but they were idle tools to them. They were fantasy stories. They were stories that were made up. They were like doubting Thomas. They needed to see Jesus in order to believe. When we are discouraged about life, what is many times the thing that precedes our dis discouragement? Think about it. What is, 
What precedes our discouragement when we are discouraged? It is doubt. Doubting what God has said in the scriptures. That is the same what happened to these disciples. They doubted what was true. And they became discouraged. Where were these men traveling to? These men were traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. This was most likely their hometown because they invited Jesus in to stay with them at the end of the trip. This trip took or was about seven to eight miles long. These men were heading home because of what they believed in their hearts. It was all over. Life with Jesus was finished. Their hero was killed. They wanted to go home to get away from Jerusalem, the place where their hope was dashed. They wanted to go home to start over, to find a new direction for their lives because of who they trusted in was gone. These men were beyond doubt and and discouragement. They were in despair. Let's look at their discussion before Jesus came onto the scene. I'm going to read verse 14 and part of verse 15. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned. What they were talking about was headline news. Like I said, everyone knew about Jesus and what had happened to him. There were many events that happened in Jerusalem the previous week that Jesus and his disciples were involved in. Not only with the disciples, but many other people that were at Jerusalem for the Passover. This is named some of those events that happened. Jesus cleansed the temple of all those who bought and sold. That would have affected a lot of people. The chief priests and the scribes tried to find a way to kill Jesus. Well, they were afraid of the rest of the people who were astonished at his teachings. And right after that, the children were crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, which indicated that Jesus was the Messiah that was promised many times in the Old Testament. And at that same time, when Jesus cleansed the temple, people were being healed um, after Jesus cleansed it. Another event that happened in the past week was a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is the time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt. And many people spread their garments and palm branches on the road. And when people spread their garments and branches on the road, this was done many times before in parades of conquerors and great princes honored by the people. Even with what the people cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, which means save, to help now. Save us from the Romans. Set up your kingdom here on the earth now. With what happened in the triumphal entry and what the people cried indicates that Jesus was the Messiah sent from God to save the Jewish people from their oppressors. Another major event that happened was the capture, the trial, and death of Jesus. Instead of people crying out Hosanna, they were crying out, crucify him. The Messiah, the one sent from God, the one that was supposed to save them, was being killed. 
also another great experience that these people experienced in the past week. There were two great earthquakes, or there were two earthquakes that happened. And I know that there are some of you sitting here that experience those earthquakes, and I'm sure you don't forget about them very quickly. The first one, though, we see was at the time of Jesus' death, when the rocks split open and the graves opened up, and the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The second earthquake happened on Sunday morning when the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone. And this earthquake, the Bible says, was a great earthquake. How far-reaching was it? The Bible doesn't say. But like I said, it was a great earthquake. So there were many things that happened in the previous week that these men were talking and discussing about. But the word reason in verse 15 means to discuss, to dispute, and to question. What were they arguing about or questioning about? They were disputing about Jesus being the Messiah, about him being the one sent from God, the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament that would come and set up his kingdom here on the earth. But yet he was killed. They were also most likely disputing about what the women Peter and John, what they saw at the tomb. Was it idle tales or was it true? Now I want to look at the discussion of Jesus when Jesus came along in the scene. So as they were walking along, Jesus came up along beside them and started walking with them. This was the very person that they were talking about. And walking in those days was a way that they traveled. So the disciples most likely weren't the only ones walking on the road. There was many people on the road. But how did Jesus appear to them? Jesus appeared to them in another form. Like I said, it's a mark. They didn't recognize him. Well, this was Jesus in his resurrected body before he sent it up into heaven. But it says in Luke that their eyes were holding, to hold in check, to restrain, to keep. Just how their eyes were held from recognizing him, whether he was changing appearance so they could not know him, or what miraculous agency was involved is not clear. But like I said, it appears that the eyes were affected here, that they couldn't recognize him, because then in verse 31 it says that their eyes were open. Well, Mary Magdalene, when she saw Jesus, she had trouble recognizing Jesus. She thought that he was the gardener. And just a little note, and I think I may have mentioned this before, but about the resurrected body. I believe this is how we will be in our resurrected body when Jesus walked here on the earth. We will move around and we will eat. But as Jesus was walking with them, he asked them what they were talking about and why were they so sad. Did Jesus not know what was bothering them and why they were so sad? Yes, I believe he did. He wanted them to tell him what was going on in their lives. And that is the same for us. Jesus knows what we are going through, but he wants us to come to him with things that bother us, things that bring us to discouragement. 
Maybe he wanted to expose their unbelief by asking them questions. Their lack of faith with what the scriptures said about Jesus. Maybe Jesus wanted to show us how to deal with unbelief and other people's lives by going back to the scriptures. <clears throat> they responded to Jesus by, as if he should have known what was going on in Jerusalem. Everyone knew what happened the previous week from the triumphal entry of Jesus to his death. It was headline news. Then they started to explain to Jesus the very one that they were talking about, what happened to Jesus of Nazareth. They told him how he was a prophet. Notice what tense it is speaking. In Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet. This is past tense. Jesus was a prophet, but is not because he was killed. But what they said here, it indicates that they believe that Jesus was not coming back. He was gone for good. Jesus was the one who spoke for God, was one who explained the scriptures to the disciples. He wasn't just any prophet, though. He was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. He did many miracles and great works. And his words astonished many people, just like the Old Testament prophesied about the Messiah. They told him how the chief priests and the rulers, not the Romans, had Jesus put to death. They also told him how they trusted in Jesus to redeem Israel, how Jesus would set up his earthly kingdom and, be, and bring freedom to the Jews. But Jesus' death dashed their hopes that he was the Messiah. And it wasn't just the, these two disciples that talked about Jesus and setting up his kingdom here on the earth. The twelve apostles often talked, about, talked to Jesus about it. Even right before the time that Jesus ascended, they asked him if Jesus will at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel. Zacharias even prophesied in Luke 1 how Jesus redeemed his people, Israel, and delivered them from their enemies. Simeon also recognized Jesus as the one to bring salvation for the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews were looking forward for that day where there, will, where there will be deliverance for them. They all knew about it. They were all longing for that day when Jesus would set up his kingdom here on the earth. But notice what they said. They, they told him that today is the third day. What did they mean when they said that? They explained to Jesus how the women saw a vision of angels, which told them that he was alive, and how Peter and John went to the tomb and also found it empty. But notice what they say at the end of verse 24. But him they saw not. They didn't believe the women's story. It was only a vision. If Jesus was alive, where was he? They may have remembered way back in the back of their mind what Jesus did say, that he will rise again on the third day. But it was getting late on the third day, and he hasn't made himself known yet. 
They were doubtful. They were discouraged. They were in despair. These, these disciples were not expecting a resurrected or a resurrection of Jesus. Maybe that's another reason why they were blinded when they saw Jesus come, coming down the road. They weren't expecting Jesus to walk along the road. So the way that these disciples describe Jesus, their view of Jesus, was it wrong? These disciples studied the scriptures. They were students of Jesus. They knew what the scriptures said about Jesus, or did they? The way that the disciples described Jesus was right, but it wasn't the whole truth. There was more to Jesus' story that they didn't believe. I believe that is what caused the disciples to to be discouraged. That is why they couldn't have joy in their hearts, because they didn't believe all of the scripture, even though they studied it. They only knew the one half of the scriptures when Jesus would come in his glory. Let's look at Jesus' discussion with the disciples and how did Jesus respond to them. Jesus calls them fools and slow of heart to believe. These men were unwise. They were slow of understanding and faith. Why was this so difficult for them? Notice what it says. Because they didn't believe all that the prophets had spoken. Stress the word all. They didn't believe all that the prophets had spoken. The key word is all. They only believed part of what the scripture said about the Messiah. They needed to believe all what the prophets had said. The Jews were good at believing the prophecies of the glory and the greatness of the kingdom that would make them great in the eyes of the Gentiles. But they would not believe the prophecies of the humility and sufferings of Christ. They crucified Christ because he did not fulfill their hopes and ambitions or even sympathize with them under the Roman yoke. It wasn't the Old Testament's fault that they were unwise. It wasn't that the scriptures weren't clear to them. It was because they chose not to believe or even they didn't know to believe. They didn't reject the scriptures. They didn't believe what they didn't know. They were only settled in the truth what they already knew about the Messiah. They only had a partial belief of the scriptures. They were only settled in the truth what they already knew about the Messiah. They only had a partial belief of the scriptures. That can be a very dangerous place to be. Let us always be learning from scripture. And is it safe to say that most most false doctrines and religions come from a partial belief in scriptures? Most false doctrines and religions come from a partial belief in scriptures. In fact, Jesus himself 
told the disciples many times in the, in the Gospels how he must die and rise again on the third day. It is not that Jesus didn't tell them that they didn't think that he would rise again, but they chose not to believe. You may say, are we a little hard on the disciples that they didn't get it? But what about us? Do we believe the scriptures as it is written? Are we settled with the truth that we know in scripture? Is it only partial truth? Are we slow of heart to believe? Are we fools? When we have the scriptures, we are accountable to know what it says. And I understand to know all that the scripture says, it is a lifelong journey. We will always be learning. We will never stop. We should never stop. But the scriptures are given to us to reveal to us God's plan for mankind. I think the key for us is to always be learning from scripture. Never quit. So for the rest of the journey that they traveled with Jesus, Jesus taught them in all the scriptures the things about himself. What scriptures did Jesus teach from? The Old Testament, beginning in the books of Moses and Genesis and all the prophets. Have you ever wondered what exactly he told them? I believe it was the things about himself, the Messiah, and probably not necessarily the things about Jesus reigning one day. But the, he spoke about the scriptures about him suffering and dying and rising again. Like I said, they understood about the part about him setting up his kingdom. So what scripture do you suppose that he turned to? In Genesis, he may have talked about how an animal needed to be killed so that the skin of the animal could clothe Adam and Eve because of their sin. And also how Satan would bruise the seed of the woman's heel, which is Jesus. Or he may have gone to the time that Abel's sacrifice was acceptable and not Cain's because Abel had a blood sacrifice. Or he may have gone to Genesis 22, and Norman shared on this a couple weeks ago, where Abraham was going to offer up Isaac, but God provided the lamb of substitute instead of Isaac. <clears throat> or he may have even talked about in Exodus about the Passover lamb, when a lamb needed to be killed, and how his blood was pasted on the doorposts so that the death angel could pass over that house. And many times in the Old Testament, the priests needed to kill many animals on the Day of Atonement, and they needed to do it every year. He may have gone into Psalms 22 and Psalms 69, which it describes Christ's death in detail. He could have gone to Daniel, where he talks about the 70 weeks and how the Messiah will be cut off. Or even in Isaiah 53, what Glenn shared this morning, where it says that he was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was bruised for our iniquities. And in Zechariah, where it says that the Jews will look on him whom they have pierced. And I'm sure there's many more scriptures that Jesus talked to them to prove to them how he needed to suffer first before he is made the king of kings. And I believe this is one class period that would have been very interesting to be a part of. To listen how Jesus is found in the Old Testament, how it points to the Messiah in the New Testament. Let's look now at the discovery of Jesus. So as they drew near to Emmaus, they invited Jesus into their house. <clears throat> Why do you think they invited Jesus into their house? It could have been because they were trying to be hospitable. It was heading towards evening. The night, the day was um, far spent. But I believe there could have been another reason. I believe that they wanted to hear more about the teaching from this man. Notice what it says in verse 32. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? They wanted to learn more. They were excited about what they heard. I believe that was possibly the reason why they invited him in. So they invited him in for an evening meal. When Jesus took the bread and blessed it, and break it and gave it to them. It was then that their eyes were open and they recognized Jesus. What do you suppose was it about the breaking of the bread that they recognized Jesus? Why then? Well, it says that their eyes were open. When their eyes were open, they realized that this was all real. The many miles that they walked, the things that they heard, this was no vision that the, that the angels claim that they saw. Of the angel. This was no vision that they claimed that the women had when they saw the angels by the empty tomb. This was the real thing. Another reason or another way that they could have recognized Jesus when he broke the bed, bread is when he gave them the bread to eat. What was the bread, or how was he holding the bread? With his hands, his nailed, scarred hands. I believe then they possibly saw the scars in his hands, just like he did in verse 40 when he did it to the disciples, the rest of the disciples. He showed them their hands, or he showed them his hands and his feet. I believe it was then when they recognized Jesus. And I believe even for us, when we see Jesus, we will recognize Jesus by the nail-scarred hands and by his feet that were nail-pierced. That is how we will recognize Jesus when we see him. But after this happened, after they recognized him, Jesus vanished from their sight. But when Jesus vanished from their sight, they recognized that their heart burned within them. And when we talk about burning, a burning heart, it means that they were greatly moved. What moved these men? 
What gave them a burning heart? Because I believe that's all. That's what we all want for our own lives. To have a burning heart. To set our hearts on fire. Was it because they had a special experience? I don't think so. Was it because that they were with Jesus? Not really, because they didn't even recognize Jesus when their hearts started burning. The Bible says that their hearts were burning while he talked to us by the way. And while he opened to us the scriptures, while he read from the Old Testament. That was when their hearts started burning. That was what started their hearts on fire. When they knew the truth of God's word, their hearts was burning. It was on fire. They went from not knowing, not understanding about Jesus' first coming to their eyes being open and understanding the purpose, the need to suffer and die for the sins of the whole world. And may I just quick add, we are not necessarily supposed to understand all that the scripture says, but we are to believe what it says. I believe the reason that Jesus kept his identity from them in the beginning was so that they could see the truth from the scriptures. Just imagine if you would have said in the beginning that I am Jesus, I am the one that, was, that died. Would have they had the great Bible study that they had? Or even if they did have, they wouldn't have been so intense in listening they had this great Bible study and they learned from the scriptures that Jesus needed to suffer first before he enters into glory. Many people today want to forget about the Old Testament. Just focus on the red letters of Jesus' words in the Bible. But I believe if we do that, we are on our way in believing a false religion which will then separate us forever from God. The Old Testament is a very important part of the Bible for it points and describes Jesus in the New. It brings confirmation to us that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one who saved us from our sins. I want to look at the response of the two disciples Can you see the excitement in these two men? That same hour, may I add, this was already late at night. They raced back to Jerusalem, seven to eight miles away, to tell to the other disciples that it is true. Jesus is alive. A couple hours before, they didn't have much energy. But what they heard about in the scripture gave them plenty of energy to run back to Jerusalem. When the disciples' heart was burning, notice what they did next. They went and told others. When our hearts are burning, we too will want to tell others about what the scripture says about Jesus. 
And I believe as we evangelize, as we witness to other people, and we heard it a little bit this morning in the devotional, and I appreciated it. The greatest tool that we can use in witnessing, in bringing someone to Christ, is the Scriptures. What does Jesus say that He will do in our lives if we allow Him? What does Jesus say in Scriptures? What, what does it say is the plan for mankind? So how do we get a burning heart? How does our heart get set on fire? It is not necessarily through experiences or by our feelings or emotions, but it is by understanding and believing what the scriptures say. Believing what it says and how Jesus can change my life. Don't be settled in partial truth, but keep learning and digging in his word. This is how we are kept pure and how we don't get drawn into false religions and cults. Let us never stop learning. Let us keep digging into God's word. Let's kneel to pray.